You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee. And I'm Emily Ashenfelter. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's December 1st. The human toll of the Israel-Hamas war is horrific. The loss of life and trauma after nearly two months of fighting will shape a generation to come. At the same time, the economic costs of the conflict loom large, threatening the future prosperity of both Israel and Gaza, and undermining the possibility of an independent Palestinian state. A 2015 RAND analysis warned about just how costly a large-scale conflict could be. Now that the Israel-Hamas war is a reality, Senior economist Daniel Eagle used that study's findings as a baseline to estimate that the fighting could result in $400 billion in Israeli losses over the next decade. 90% of that economic shock will come from indirect effects, such as reduced foreign investment, a disrupted labor market, and slowed productivity growth. Additionally, Palestinians' aggregate economic activity could be reduced by one-third This would be driven by the destruction of property, termination of Palestinian labor in Israel, and increased trade restrictions, all of which are already unfolding. While the outlook is bleak, these economic losses could have one potential positive outcome. They might make peace anchored in economic prosperity possible for the first time in a generation. The reality of this war is that both groups will need external support to recover, Eagle says. That could create a common rationale for a long-term political solution. But turning this crisis into an opportunity for peace will not be easy. It will require commitment from the international community and vision, leadership, and courage from the Israeli and Palestinian communities. RAND's Brian Michael Jenkins wrote about a different potential outcome related to the Israel-Hamas war. The conflict could provoke terrorist repercussions beyond the region, just as past conflicts in the Middle East have. The magnitude and shape of the terrorist threat that emerges will depend on a few key factors, Jenkins says. These include how long the conflict lasts, whether Hezbollah or Iran decide on full-scale intervention, whether Israel launches a preemptive attack to stop Hezbollah or Iran, and whether America is drawn further into the fight. While Hamas does not have its own international terrorist network, new pro-Hamas terrorist groups might form. Or, theoretically, Hamas could try to recruit operatives in the criminal underworld, as Hezbollah and Iran have done. Iran has extensive connections in this domain and has used them to plot assassinations abroad, including in the United States. It's also important to note that Hamas's attack on Israel and Israel's ongoing response in Gaza have produced intense emotional responses and opened deep chasms in American society. This could lead to increased violence or mass attacks on U.S. soil, Jenkins says. The violence to come, he warns, could, quote, resemble the savagery of the October 7 attacks in Israel, unrestrained, deliberately bloody, gestural cruelty. Climate change is expected to make the Middle East and Central Asia hotter and drier, reducing access to fresh water. This could destabilize the region 
and potentially increase the risk of intrastate conflict, a major concern for leaders within U.S. Central Command, or CENTCOM. We've already seen the effects of climate change cause unrest in this part of the world. For example, from 2018 to 2022, extreme temperatures and water scarcity during the summer months contributed to significant civil unrest in Basra, Iraq. New RAND research outlines ideas to help CENTCOM decision-makers prevent future climate hazards from spilling over into the security environment in this key region. The findings are timely, as COP28, the annual United Nations Climate Change Summit, began yesterday in Dubai. Here are just a few of the author's recommendations. Elevating non-traditional security cooperation could help address emerging threats, they write. Additionally, incorporating climate considerations into strategy, defense planning, and intelligence products is key. This includes CENTCOM updating contingency plans for humanitarian assistance and disaster relief and non-combatant evacuation operations. Another important goal is climate literacy. CENTCOM would benefit from greater climate literacy among all levels of headquarters staff and forward-deployed personnel including for security cooperation officers and defense attaches based in the region. Beginning in 1992, some cities across the U.S. began adopting policies that either encourage or require owners of multi-unit housing complexes to evict tenants who are involved with the criminal justice system. These so-called crime-free housing policies are generally seen as a part of the war on drugs and were part of a movement to encourage landlords to aid in efforts to lower crime. Crime-free housing policies have been controversial. They are criticized by opponents as targeting lower-income tenants and people from minority racial groups. Meanwhile, supporters of these policies have claimed that they reduce crime and calls for assistance from police. But what does the evidence say about their effects? A new RAND study found no meaningful statistical evidence that crime-free housing policies actually reduce crime. It also found that these policies increased evictions in areas where more Black residents lived and where residents tended to have lower incomes. These policies did not appear to create any meaningful benefits to communities, said lead author Max Griswold, but they do likely lead to increased harm for predominantly low-income minority groups. The findings suggest that municipal policymakers should reconsider maintaining or adopting crime-free housing policies. And if these policies are maintained, then they should require that tenants are informed why they are being evicted, which is not currently required. We'll close today's episode by letting you know about a new resource available on RAND.org. For more than a decade, Significant media attention and public protests have focused on high-profile incidents involving police use of deadly force against Black Americans. One key step toward preventing future tragedies is to build trust between local police departments and the communities they serve. To this end, RAND researchers created a step-by-step guide for planning and conducting a community police dialogue. This toolkit walks through how to bring together community members and law enforcement professionals in a neutral setting, sets ground rules for a productive dialogue, provides hypothetical scenarios to use in small and large group discussions, and outlines how to evaluate and assign action items that will continue the dialogue. 
anyone can download this toolkit for free at RAND.org. If you'd like to learn more about what we discussed in today's episode, check out the show notes at RAND.org slash podcast. We'll see you next week.